everyone's searching for their unique differentiator, right, in their business. The majority of the time, there isn't one, right? But if you try to pull and try to, you know, tweak the way you're, you're wording things and make it so confusing that no one understands what you do, you've lost. So your unique differentiator is often your personality. And that's what people say, like, hey, I know you're good at this, but the reason why I want to talk to you is because of this. You know, you have a family, you care about mental health, you whatever it is. As an entrepreneur, if you want to build your personal brand, which is a great marketing channel, by the way, you have to have a personality. So if all you talk about is business on whatever channel it is, no one knows more about you. And there's nothing different between you and 20 other people who can talk about the same stuff. What's up, everyone? I'm Chris Ronzio, founder and CEO of Trainual, and this is Organized Chaos. As always, we're taking a page from a different leader's playbook so you can put it in yours as you build your own. And you just heard from Terry Rice. This episode's all about how entrepreneurs can adapt an exponential mindset. By exponential, I mean nonlinear. I mean not just growing by 10% each year, what if you could grow by 100%, 1000% by totally blowing up and reinventing your business model? Well, it takes a certain mindset and a proactive thinking to get your results to match that kind of exponential result. And that's what we dig into in this interview. We also talk about second order thinking and how you can get more out of your existing client relationships to build bigger, longer lasting partnerships. And Terry is quite a, a celebrity over on LinkedIn, posting a lot of content, getting paid for content that he puts out. And so we talk about how to be consistent, how to be authentic, and how to come up with ideas for the types of media that you put out. Take a listen. All right, welcome back to Organized Chaos, everyone. I'm your host, Chris Ronzio, and today we're talking with Terry Rice and diving into two really important topics in entrepreneurship. One is just having an exponential mindset and the other one that Terry's gonna walk us through is leveraging what he calls second order thinking. So we'll dig into both of these. Terry, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, let's get to it. So before we get into these topics, can you just set this up and share a little bit about your background and how you got into the consulting you're doing now? Yeah, well, first of all, I'm the father of four children. Two of them are here now, so they might make an appearance uh, unexpectedly. <laughs> but uh, for years, I worked in the corporate world. I worked at Facebook. I worked at Adobe. And like many people, after around 10 years, you're like, you know what? I think I can do this myself. Unfortunately, I found out I couldn't do it myself because I was good at my job, but not good at building a business. And over the course of 18 months of trials, tribulations, a lot of failure and fear, I learned how to build my own professional service business, and I now help other entrepreneurs do the same thing. And so you, you started with these big companies. I'm sure working in those big companies like Facebook and Adobe is a lot different than supporting small business owners. What's that transition been like? It was me shedding my ego, to be honest, because when I worked at Adobe and when I worked at Facebook, that was my identity. If, if I met you, I couldn't wait for you to ask where I worked at. And then once I left, I, I lost that identity. So you have this, this bit of a crisis. And I actually actively pursued larger companies as clients originally. I was working with Walmart, Amazon, Coca-Cola. So going after these larger companies, and actually, Chris, I would charge them way less just because I wanted to get a yes out of them. So that's how desperate I was to work with these enterprise level companies again. But after a while, I realized, you know what? I don't want my legacy to, to be defined by how I helped Walmart sell more socks. 
I want my legacy to be, to be defined by how I help individuals support their family and pursue their passions. And I realized that people that I was training where there were business owners, they had much more of a vested interest in what I was talking about, as opposed to people who were forced to be there because their manager told them to sit in a room. Yeah, makes sense. So you, you mentioned wanting to help people build their families, support their families. You also mentioned you have four kids. Uh, which I think when I was reading up about you, it said three kids. So you must have a, a, a pretty young one. Yeah, yeah. I have a six-month-old, then at the top, a six-year-old, and a three-year-old, and a two-year-old. <laughs> so a lot going on. Wow. So four, six, and under. Okay. So for everyone listening, he is uh, an expert at how to leverage uh, his his time, the, the little time you have left with a family like that. So that I think we're going to come back to that toward the end of the talk. But let's get into exponential mindset. So what should entrepreneurs be thinking? What does it mean to have an exponential mindset? Yeah, well, first, let's start with talking about what a linear mindset is. And a linear mindset is looking for growth. So let's pretend you're making $100,000 this year, you want to make 110,000 next year, right? That's linear growth. Exponential is thinking, look, you know, how can I just blow up my whole business model and find a new solution that will 10x it? And I'll give you an example of that. During the pandemic, you mentioned my children. All my kids were home all day because we were homeschooling. And that was just driving me nuts uh, for obvious reasons. But I was consulting individuals. And I just couldn't do it anymore. I didn't have the time. So what I did is said, look, I can't do this anymore. I have to stop and start doing group coaching. So to better facilitate that, I said, I don't even want to do group coaching live. I'm just going to take two months off record an online course that covers everything I would talk about, and then twice a week, just do Q&A. <laughs> so that's an example of blowing up my business model, actually losing revenue for two months, but then having a great increase on the back end once I launched this group coaching program. I remember, uh, maybe you've heard of uh, Dan Sullivan, a strategic coach. Just a, a concept I heard from him a lot was, was thinking, thinking in terms of 10X instead of 2X. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, when they're talking to their friends and mastermind group, they say, I want to double my business next year or double my business over the next three years or five years. And the mindset that it takes to double, uh, the work that it takes to double might be the same amount of work it takes to figure out that 10x solution, right? So it's how do you, how do you go about that differently and frame it bigger? Well, I mean, there's a few ways. One is, you know, hey, if you reach for the stars, you might land on the moon, right? <laughs> so if you're going for 2x and you fail, you might only hit, you know, 1.5x for doing the math. So it just makes sense to not have that, that lower upper limit, if that makes sense. And just embracing the fact that you have to be unreasonable. And one of my favorite quotes by George Bernard Shaw, which I'm probably going to butcher, says, reasonable people, they change themselves to accommodate the world. Unreasonable people expect the world to change to them. Therefore, all progress is made by unreasonable people. So why should you be reasonable, right? When you say, I want to 10X this or 20X this, why would you limit what you can be? And as a result, and you know the psychology behind it most likely, like you're actually building new neural pathways in your mind to help you achieve these outcomes. Now pair that with a vision, which is different than a goal, because a goal might be to, again, make $500,000 next year. A vision is what does it look like? What does it feel like? What circles are you known and so on and so forth? You can then reverse engineer what you have to do to live in that vision. And your mind has something else to grasp onto because the answers to the question you have, how do I get there, 
it's all around you. But if you don't know what the vision is, you're going to walk right by them. So I'm, I'm going to stumble through this question because I'm trying to make sense of it in my own head. But when I used to do consulting, sometimes, you know, I, I would always ask people at the beginning of our project, you know, what's what's your big vision for this the company? And some people would have reasonable visions and some people would have unreasonable visions. And of the unreasonable visions, there were the ones that were inspirational and there were the ones that were delusional. <laughs> and so where is the line when someone that's listening out there says, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to cast a bigger exponential vision for my company. Where's the line between practical and insanity? It might be hard for you to know yourself. Therefore you have to ask other people say, Hey, look, here's my idea. Here's what I want to do. What do you think of it? But the caveat is ask other people who have also taken big risks in their life because someone who's been conservative, who has a nine to five, and I'm not dissing that. I'm just saying that's, that's a role. They're going to say, Oh no, that's, that's insane. You know, why do you think that would happen? And it's because they have a, a more limited mindset and, or sometimes they're like, well, why do you deserve to be so happy? I'm not that happy. <laughs> so you shouldn't be either. And there'll be naysayers as a result. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there is a line between delusional and aspirational, but you need to find people that accept you for who you are, but want to keep on seeing you ascend and won't let their lamentations rub off on you as well. So well said. Okay. So find and surround yourself with other people that have taken big risks and made these big leaps and then use their judgment or their, let them weigh in on, on, uh, you know, how, how practical or, or your goals are or if they're achievable, achievable. So if, if someone can't wrap their head around this, like what, what would prevent someone from being able to start thinking in the exponential terms, where do they get stuck? I would say they're not studying enough people who have had the same type of approach. So for example, Jim Quick has a book called Limitless. Start there. <laughs> you know, it's a great, it's a great manual for you to learn how to learn and just review some of again your own self-limiting beliefs that you might have and then deconstruct them. And often it happens during childhood, right? You know, your your parents said, Hey, you're never gonna be good at basketball or you're not good at math, and that stuck with you. So it's really doing this internal self-examination and saying, well, why do I think I'm not good enough for this? You know, where's my limit? And it's funny, one of my friends, this woman, uh, Amina Atai, she's a, a holistic business coach. And she had problems around money, just like uh, an upper limit on how much money she should make. And she went to a, a, a hypnos hypnosis uh, therapist, whatever it's called, a hypnotist, sorry. Um, <laughs> and she actually found it stemmed from a conversation she had with her father when she was nine years old. So she's on the couch. Remember that conversation when she was nine years old with her father? That's what put the self-limiting belief in her mind. And that's how she was able to remove it as well. Wow. Well, that's powerful. Okay. Do you think, you know, before I jumped on this call this morning, my son was watching YouTube and he was watching this video of all these kids from around the world that had achieved amazing things. And, you know, some of them were musicians playing in bands and some of them had, were, were crazy athletes or, you know, the, uh, a six-year-old girl that's like racing cars and, and that sort of thing. And it was inspiring to him. And so I, I think it's a great suggestion to just start by getting inspired by others because it kind of raises the bar for what we think we can do, right? Yeah, let me jump in there real quick because I noticed that with my own kids, right? I was talking to my daughter and she's like, Hey, dad, it would be great if we had a trap door uh, in our home so we could go to other places. 
And I was like, in my head, I'm like, well, we don't. <laughs> but I was like, oh, cool, Lena, where will we go in this trap door? So encouraging that curiosity in that yeah. mindset, as opposed to saying, well, we don't have a trap door. So why are we, <laughs> why are we talking about trap door? <laughs> Maybe she'll build it. She'll invent it and then we'll all have one and we can look back on this podcast. That would be cool. Do you think that there's a correlation like in industry, big industry disruptors, all the entrepreneurs we hear about, are they all exponential thinkers? I wouldn't say so. I mean, I think if they're truly innovators, if they're inventing a thing that you've never heard of before, then yes, they most likely are. But I mean, to be honest, entrepreneurship, you can kind of follow some guidelines and be cool with it. I mean, they have to have a growth mindset to leave a nine to five or to, you know, not be relegated to some kind of you know other life. But I think when we say things like that, it makes it seem more esoteric than it is. It's it's not. It's basic. It's saying, I don't want a nine to five. I'm going to do this. It's going to be risky. But success leaves clues. And if I follow those clues, I too can be successful. So long as I put fear aside and have this vision, goals, and put in this hard work. Uh, that said, I think the best of us uh, who are entrepreneurs often do have that exponential mindset because you have to ask for more, right? Than just, you know, whatever standard. And if you ask for more, you can expect more from yourself and other people and you will get rewarded for it. I will say in, in my experience, I think the incremental or linear mindset tends to be the default. And I have to push myself to remember to think, you know, and, and think bigger and think more exponentially because left to my own devices, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not no one special. Like I, I just think, okay, I want to do a little bit better than last time or a little bit better than last month. And so it's, it's something you've got to be pretty proactive about, right? To flip the switch. It's that. And again, it goes back to having peers or people in your network who will challenge you because one of my business partners, he, he is very unreasonable in his demands from himself, from our vendors, from me and so on and so forth but he's also worth $75 million. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess something works, right? <laughs> so it, you, you need people like that around you that will challenge you and they might frustrate you sometimes. It's like, well, why are you trying, why do I have to do all this stuff? They're pulling something out of you that even if they get a little nudge, a little bit more, you've exceeded what you think you're capable of and that's who you wanna be around. Yeah, so a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs. They're running businesses. Uh, you know, my business, for example, we have almost 100 employees and I would love to have a lot of my team be thinking more exponentially. And so are there certain things that you can do to encourage people to flip that switch, exercises, activities? What do you recommend for a company? You have to create a culture where failure is embraced and where it's not penalized. So when I worked at Facebook, uh, there were signs on the wall that said, move fast and break things. That was one of the mantras. Now, unfortunately, some of the engineers took that literally and they were just breaking stuff. So after a while, we're like, hey, not, not on purpose, <laughs> but if you do break things, it's okay. Uh, so, so that's part of it. But I think it's giving people literally time for white space to sit there and think of creative ideas because there was this great study, I believe it was by Forbes, where they found that 97% of executives said, hey, my best ideas come from white space when I do that strategic thinking. But only 4% of them actually block off time on their calendar to do so. So there's an inverse there. And I remember when I was at Adobe, we actually had four hours a week just for innovation. We didn't have to bill it to a client, internally, anything, just sit there and think, stare at a window. So if you can give someone the freedom to think, literally think and have time, 
And then, yeah, report back what you did, like, oh, this, <laughs> you know, daydream. That's where innovation really comes from. But I think we're often too constrained in our time or too pressured for results, right? Because now we're in a spider flight state, like produce results or, or, or you're done. So therefore you're like, well, hey, how do I win here? Provide results. But that's actually the inverse of what you're trying to do because they don't have that white space. So with you, four kids at home under six, how do you create that white space for yourself? What are the, the, the constraints you put on your schedule? There's a, there's a few things. So for example, I wake up at 4.30 in the morning and people might think, oh, that's crazy, but I'll wake up at 4.30, I'll do my most creative or critical work before my kids get up at 6.30. I'll then drop them off and go to CrossFit. So I'm there from like nine to I don't know, 10.30 or whatever, and then do more work. And again, someone's gonna say, oh, that's crazy. You wake up that early. Yeah, but I also got to go work out. <laughs> so it's like, you can't always you know, invent time, but you can, you can find opportunities within the opportunity. I'll give you another example. I take my kids to soccer uh, practice every Saturday morning. So they're there for an hour. I'll set a timer on my phone to go off every six minutes and I'll do 10 push-ups. After an hour, I've done 100 push-ups, right? And they don't even know because they're over there kicking soccer balls. So you have to be creative, you have to sacrifice. And I think that's what people don't wanna do. When you want to ascend, there's a few check boxes there, right? What do you have to learn? What do you have to do? What do you have to experience? Also, what do you have to sacrifice? Because mm -hmm. you may, can't make room for new experiences if you don't sacrifice something else. So for me, it's staying up late watching Netflix, but honestly, I haven't missed much, so, so I'm good there. So sacrifice the Netflix, but make sure you get the push-ups in, or maybe, you could do push-ups the whole time you're watching Netflix and it's a win-win, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's what um, Nir Isle, you might have heard him before, he wrote um, Hooked and he has another book called Indistractable. He's saying there's nothing wrong with watching Netflix so long as it's not distracting you from something else that you need to do. So you should actually schedule in time for Netflix, for binging, whatever it is, so long as it's not taking you away from some other task that has to get done, that's fine. So I'm not knocking Netflix, I'm just saying, if you know you need to get up early in the morning and you're just, you know, watching Orange is the New Black, that, that's when it becomes a problem. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm an early riser as well, but I have not done the six minute push up hack and I'm absolutely going to do that at my kids games on the weekend. So thank you for that. All right, let's let's shift into second order thinking. So how would you explain second order thinking? Where do we start? It's it's pretty basic. It's just saying, OK, here's this opportunity, this event that occurred. Uh, let's pretend it's landing a new client, right? And then saying, and then what? What else can I do with this? So let's say I land a new client and they work in the, uh, they're, I don't know, they, they make lighting for, I don't know, like computers, right? Let's pick it up something random. I can say, hey, I'm glad I'm consulting you on this. By the way, there's this conference coming up uh, in New York. I would love to speak there on your behalf. What do you say? So I'm making this up on the spot, but really it's just saying, and then what? What else can I do to generate revenue, to build a tighter relationship, whatever makes sense? I'll give you a better one. I often get paid content creator deals. So someone will say, hey, Terry, can you make this real about whatever? I'll say, sure. Hey, I got an idea. How about I also do a webinar on the same topic? Therefore, you can do lead generation as a result of that and get even more outcome from it. That's going to cost X thousand more dollars. That's the end then what? What can come after this, this initial instance that will benefit me or, or usually both parties? 
So it's kind of like just having visibility into the upsell or the next extension of what you can do together in the first transaction, right? A lot of people will work together with someone, wait to get paid, and then start thinking about, and then what? And so are, are, are you yeah. saying that it's, it's doing it up front in the first deal? It's maybe not doing it up front, but at least having it in your head. And mm -hmm. you said it way more, way more clear than I did. But I don't know if you should always say it initially because if you do that, it might be too much too soon, right? So yeah. get your foot in the door first and then you know go forward from there. But once you already have a yes from someone or built a relationship, that's the easiest person to go further with because you've established that trust. Yeah. So just don't just sit there and say, okay, cool. You know, I have this thing. Think what else can be beyond that as well. So if you're mentally thinking, and then what? Uh, are you brainstorming with a client? Do you, do you ever just pose the question to them to say, what else can we do together? Or are you always coming to them with a, a proposal, a solution? Yeah, I mean, you probably have this happen all the time. Someone reaches out and says, hey, Chris, I'd love to partner with you. What do you think? You're gonna say, I don't know, what do you mean by partner? <laughs> so it's right. like, you know, give me some ideas because even if you're wrong about the ideas, it proves that the other person is actually thinking and not just relying on you to care enough to respond or for you to come up with the idea. So I'll provide like a seed that someone else can build off of and they might actually hate my initial idea, which happens often by the way, uh, but they will say, well, we don't wanna do that, but how about this? That's happened several times, but it, it's almost like you're just getting the creative juices flowing and then from there, they can pivot in their own direction, which still makes sense based on the whole uh, relationship, but might have nothing to do with your original idea. Yeah, you, you hit a vein there for me because I get DMs on LinkedIn all the time that said, hey, I'd love to just jump on a call and explore opportunities or figure out how we can partner. And, and I always just write back, I've got kind of like a, a, you know, a canned reply that I go back and say, I've got a ton of opportunities around me, but if you could be really specific, and tell me what, what you wanna do, then I can figure out if it's something we're interested in, if there's something, uh, someone on our team that I can connect you to. Um, so the specificity is really important when I'm on the receiving end. So I appreciate that you shared that when you're delivering the pitch. Yeah, and that message you said, I have that pre-programmed in my phone. So I can just push a button yeah, and say same. like, okay, code 111, here you go. <laughs> same. And then we can respond even quicker. Yeah, so for, I don't know what kind of phone you have, but I have an iPhone. So for anyone listening, there's in the settings, you can go into the keyboard settings and make these little text shortcuts. And so if you're not using this hack, please do, because all those things that you're constantly replying to people, you can just put a couple characters and fire off a paragraph of text. So it sounds like you do that too, Terry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Love it, all right. Actually, LinkedIn now lets you have an auto reply set up if you don't have that set up too. Oh, I don't actually. I think I think you're a, more of a LinkedIn aficionado than I am, which is actually a great opener. You've been putting out a lot of content on LinkedIn and, and uh, probably attracting these clients and partnerships through the the content that you're putting out. So is, has it been a, a big business development channel for you? It has. But Chris, here's the funny thing. I have not promoted myself on LinkedIn in at least nine months. And by that, I mean saying, hey, if you want to work with me, click here, DM me, whatever it may be. Since then, I've gotten more inbound leads than ever. When I'm just talking about taking my kids to soccer practice or you know, me recording a video and how I forgot to turn my microphone on. Like For some reason, that's hitting better than me overtly saying, hey, please hire me.
And so, so you produce this relatable content that, you know, about the kids or the soccer game or whatever. And then do they just get to your profile and see what you do and think, Oh, I like Terry. I'm seeing Terry's posts every week. Let me reach out to him for this stuff that he does. Are, are, are you ever talking about the, the material of what, what you consult on? I'll give advice. I'll say, hey, if you can't think of anything to write on social media, just answer 10 questions for your audience because questions become content. If you can't think of 10 questions, you don't know your audience well enough, go do some research. So I'll say that and like drop the mic and leave and they'll figure out, okay, he helps people build their brand, uh, but he's also kind of funny. His dad jokes aren't that bad and oh, he likes working out. You know, he seems like a decent guy. So it's that because here's the thing, everyone's searching for their unique differentiator, right? In their business. The majority of the time, there isn't one, right? But if you try to pull and try to, you know, tweak the way you're, you're wording things and make it so confusing that no one understands what you do, you've lost. So your unique differentiator is often your personality. And that's what people say, like, hey, I know you're good at this, but the reason why I want to talk to you is because of this. You know, you have a family, you care about mental health, you, whatever it is. But, and, and I think it's really important because as an entrepreneur, if you want to build your personal brand, which is a great marketing channel, by the way, you have to have a personality. So if all you talk about is business on whatever channel it is, no one knows more about you. And there's nothing different between you and 20 other people who can talk about the same stuff. 100%. Personality is like the only differentiator in many ways, right? We could all do the same thing and offer the same services, but people want to work with the person. Who are you? And so it's really, uh, it's cool that you are vulnerable and sharing that side of, of your life. Is there a, a trick you have on, on consistency of posting or a bank of ideas that you draw from when you're coming up with what you're going to post? Yeah, there's a few. I mean, I have a content marketing matrix where if we're looking at the top, let's pretend there's, a, there's columns, there's different themes. One could be X versus Y, so one way versus another. Another could be contrarian. I disagree strongly with this popular notion. Uh, another could be a success story. It could be present versus future and also like step by step. So there's all these, these structures at the top. On the left, there's different topics. It could be lead generation. It could be personal branding. It could be pricing. So if I said pricing and then would have been with contrarian, I could say, hey, people think that, you know, you should charge as much as possible for your services. I disagree. You should do this because X, Y, Z, like I'm not going to go into it. But <clears throat> if you have that matrix, you can kind of just drop a, you know, a dot anywhere and come up with really great ideas. But here's where people get stuck. And this is what I want people to avoid is just write down the idea. Don't write down the full post because that's what really kills time. So you just want the idea. Okay. Contrarian point of view about pricing. Boom. Do that later. Uh, you know, X versus Y about email marketing platforms. Boom, do that later. So that way you're cranking out all these ideas and you can flesh them out later. So that's that's one thing. But another, and Chris, this is super basic and I'm surprised I haven't been caught for this yet, is I'll take some of my written posts from like three months ago and I'll just read it as a video. <laughs> like that's it. It turns into a reel or like a short video on, on LinkedIn. And it's like, it's crazy because I'm like the same people who commented three months ago are like, oh, this is great. I'm like, you obviously have a short memory because <laughs> I'm just reading off my screen right now. But that way, like one post becomes two or three based on that, that approach. 
That's so smart. I mean, it's, it's a great lesson to recycle content too, because even if it's not the same people, you know, a lot of times you might post something a year ago, two years ago, the idea was great, but now your audience has got a lot bigger. And so repurposing that idea and recycling it, bringing it back. I do that all the time. Um, I love turning your, your text posts into videos. I'm totally going to borrow that. And I've never heard of the, the matrix the, would you say content matrix? Yeah, content marketing matrix where at the top you have structures and on the left you're going to have different themes you can talk about. And and that's what really the the barrier to creating content is. It's it's not just the idea, it's fleshing it out. So get all the ideas down and then you you obviously need a hook, right? Your opening line, get someone to stop scrolling and pay attention. It can be a question, it can be a stat, whatever that is. Then the meat of your content, and at the end, a call to action. What do you think about this? Have you had an experience like this too? So on and so forth. That's really it. And then you keep on iterating until you find stuff that works and just keep on repeating it like I do. And so for you, is is content a kind of like a, a free, free content? It's just for exposure? Or do you monetize any of the content you put out? Oh, no, I get paid for it too. So I get paid by brand partners who make who I make videos for, write blogs, so on and so forth. But the way that they discover you initially is by the free stuff you have out. So when I'm pitching a brand on a partnership, I can say, hey, here's this reel I did. I can make one similar to this for you. What do you say? And I think that's another problem that a lot of entrepreneurs have is they're selling a service, but they don't have any example of what the outcome will look like. Right. So if you do that, then you can say, look, I understand this is all theory right now, but here's what the outcome can look like. And I'll share a story about this because it goes back to our previous conversation. Five year old daughter loses her tooth during COVID. And I'm like, look, Lena, I get it. You want the tooth fairy to come? Guess what? There's no tooth fairy. There's no Santa Claus. Like, I'm stressed out. It's not going to happen. And she's like, look, she's like, that's fine. Just sneak in my room while I'm sleeping, put a dollar under my pillow, and I'll see it in the morning. And I'm like, well, shoot, she doesn't care about the process. She cares about the outcome. But so many entrepreneurs have the same problem. We talk about our process, 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 process. All they want is the dollar. They don't care about the tooth fairy. <laughs> Just give them the dollar, give them the outcome, and that's how you win. That's hilarious. Yeah. So I, and, and using those personal examples is such a great way to teach lessons. And so that, I think that's a great lesson for everyone is really there's all these moments in our lives that we can draw little lessons from. And that's, I think, where I get the bank of any content I put out is, is just these little moments and being aware of these little these little lessons that and a, and a lot of them come from our kids. So you and I, we're probably uh, uh, just lucky to have kids that, that, uh, that, that give endless content. I was going to say, having kids as an unfair advantage, which initially seems like a disadvantage. Because you're like, oh, I don't have time to create content. You know, my kids stick again, so on and so forth. But the thing is, you're so time constrained that you only have to select the best options from what's left with your time, right? So you less have you have less opportunities for frivolous stuff that may or may not work out. Because when you wake up at 4.30 in the morning, you know what you do? The most important thing. You don't mess around. So I think those constraints give you clarity and that clarity enhances your results. I love that. That's probably the title of the episode there, that the constraints give you clarity and clarity enhances your results. I love that. Uh, this has been so cool talking about the entrepreneurial uh, or exponential mindset, second order thinking, posting on uh, and, and content on LinkedIn. Um, I know you've got a podcast coming out with Entrepreneur this August. So do you want to quickly just pitch us on, on what that's all about? 
Yeah, well, it's called Launch Your Business. So great for SEO reasons. And my goal is to help emerging entrepreneurs learn the actions, tools, and mindset that are aligned with success. But I want them to do so without burning out or missing out on the people or experiences that matter most. Because right now, I know there's a lot of fear that goes into launching a business, especially during this day and age. I want to alleviate that because, Chris, going back to my family, when I first launched my business, my daughter was a newborn. And I missed out on a lot of opportunities with her. I was there, but I was just not present because I was afraid every day because her success was tied to the success of my business. And I had no clue what I was doing. So if I can help people avoid that challenge, that stress, and just be more present in the current moment, which is a function of mindfulness, that's a win for me. And that's what the podcast is about. That sounds like something I'd listen to. So check it out. Launch your business when it comes out in August. Terry Rice, thank you so much. This was so much fun. Hey, thanks for listening to Organized Chaos. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, or share it with anyone in your network that you think could benefit from this information. For episode show notes, podcast recaps, and tons of other small business news and inspiration, check out the manual. That's trainual.com backslash manual.